I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guests today are Lynn Pelletier and Melina Fagan. They're award-winning documentarians from the Big Island of Hawaii whose recent short film called Reefs at Risk explores the harmful effects some sunscreen chemicals have on coral reefs and marine life. Their film has been seen by almost half a million people and helped put pressure on legislatures in Hawaii to ban sunscreens with oxybenzone and octanoxate from being sold in the state. To watch Reefs at Risk, go to www.reefsatrisk.org or search for it on YouTube. So first, thank you for your work in the world, and second, thank you for being on the program. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. So um, let's talk a little bit about what are coral reefs and um, what are some of the threats to them, and then and then specifically move to the, the threats that you have been uh, working on. Okay. Well, for those of you that don't know what coral reefs are, a lot of people think that they're just rocks in the ocean and you can step on them and they're not living, but they're actually animals. Um, so when we talk about coral bleaching or mass, mass bleaching of coral reefs, we're really talking about um, a lot of animals dying. Um, and and how they work is they grow really slowly. So if you look at a really nice, beautiful, established reef, it took years for it to get that way. And they're very, very sensitive animals. They like a certain temperature. They like a certain quality of water. And when all these conditions are met, they really thrive. But there's so many factors in our world today that are stressing them out. And that can be anything from climate change to overfishing, uh, sedimentation and pollution is a really, uh, also ocean acidification is another big one, but the one that we're most focused on is pollution. And that can be anything from plastics to pesticide and chemicals that go into the waters, but something that we're really passionate here in Hawaii is about sunscreen pollution. And um, we found it very amusing when we um, made our film because we would um, ask people, what are corals? And we got all kinds of different answers uh, from a plant in the ocean, from a hard animal on a rock, from a, um, a sponge-like animal. It was really amusing, and I'll be the first to say that I didn't really know what coral really was. I grew up in Connecticut and never went to the ocean. And, of course, since I've been in Hawaii, I'm much more aware. But um, So that we found really interesting, and it's hard for people to care about the coral if they don't know what it is. If they think it's a rock, so what? You know, they don't realize it's an animal. It's also considered a plant because it has algae. It's a symbiotic um, organism, and it also creates a rock-like structure. So some scientists say it's all three, but most of the time they call them animals. And the thing is they take thousands of years to create these huge, beautiful reef structures, and they can disappear in just days. That's how fragile they are. So once people know what they are, then the second um, important thing is, what do they do for you? You know, we have these fire ants here in Hawaii, and I could care less if they became <laughs> extinct, you know, because they, they leave this burn on you that itches, and I don't know what they're good for, but the corals do so many things for people. We need to appreciate them and take care of them. Um, one of the things that's, I think, pretty amazing is they supply almost half the oxygen for us. They're like equivalent to the rainforest of the ocean, and that in itself is huge. But they also create livelihood. Um, they spur the economy. Like here in Hawaii, it's been estimated they bring in 
$40 billion just in Hawaii. So you can imagine the billions of dollars worldwide that they help. Now, if I worked for someone um, and gave them 50, uh, $40 billion, I would want to be well cared for. <laughs> you know, that's common sense. Um, they protect our coastlines um, from storms and uh, surges, and um, they provide biomedical research and products. And most importantly, they provide food, because even though they only take up a very small percent of the ocean floor, like less than 1%, they support, they house 25% of all marine life. I mean, that's pretty huge. So... Um, so if we lose those reefs, any all the fish and uh, turtles, everything you see that lives on the reef is also going to be really threatened. Yeah, the food that you eat, I mean, it fixes a lot of the carbon, you know, from the carbon dioxide. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible um, ecosystem, but it's also very fragile. And it only grows, depending on the species, from anywhere from two millimeters to a centimeter. So I mean, can you imagine if you shaved your head and every year your hair would only grow two millimeters? But our hair doesn't give us what the coral gives us. So you know, I'm just saying, once people learn about them, um, I think that they care. I think people really do care. Um, actually, one of my friends had uh, people visiting from the mainland, and they had seen our film on Hawaiian Airlines. And um, so they were in Kona, and they only went snorkeling once because they didn't want to harm the coral. So I thought that was so sweet. That wasn't necessary. All they had to do was use the proper sunscreen. And so that's why we need to educate people. Um, you can still have your life. You can still have your fun. There are alternatives that are available. Um, so we made a film called Reefs at Risk, which focuses on two of the most harmful chemicals in sunscreen, and those are, like you said, oxybenzone and octanoxate. And these chemicals are really prevalent. They're found in about 70% of the sunscreen sold on the market. And the sunscreen industry is pretty large. It's $10 billion a year, year after year. And it's estimated that 14,000 tons of sunscreen chemicals enter coral reefs specifically each year. So, I mean, that's kind of hard to imagine on a large global scale, but if you look at a beach like Trunk Bay, which is in the U.S. Virgin Islands, it gets 2,000 people a day, and just the oxybenzone concentration alone, that adds up to like over 7,000 pounds of oxybenzone going into this one little bay and reef. Um, and the, the, one of the main scientists in our film, Dr. Craig Downs, he's been surveying reefs around the world for many years, and he was at Trunk Bay, I think it was in the 80s, and the reef was really unhealthy looking. It had a bunch of diseases and tumors, like abnormal growth on the, on the coral, and it was bleaching, and it just was really unhealthy, and they were stumped. Him and his team of researchers, they didn't know what was causing it because the temperatures were low. All the conditions in the water were perfect. <laughs> um, and they came out of the water and they were kind of talking about it and a local person overheard them and they said, oh, it's all the oil. It's all the sunscreen sheen and the pollution that you can smell in the air. You can see it in the water. So there's, we're not saying that sunscreen is like the main cause of coral bleaching worldwide. It's probably responsible for 15 to 20% of the reef decline. 
But the thing is that it's impacting the reefs that are most heavily visited by people. So, and we can get into the science too if you want. <laughs> well, in, let's do that in a moment. Um, okay. um, so was that when, when people really first made the connection between sunscreen and, uh, and uh, coral death was, was in the 80s? Yeah, um, these scientists, that was, they, they had just never thought about that before. And it makes so much sense now. Like here we are introducing pounds and pounds of these chemicals that are toxic to all forms of life. So for coral, I mean, the concentrations in these waters can be quite high. So what they did is they were observing this and then they had this hypothesis and then they went and created experiments in their lab that showed results of Oxybenzone can cause DNA damage in coral. It can reduce the fertility. It kills coral larvae. So if a, if a coral reef is bleached or killed from something like climate change, if oxybenzone is present, I, I mean, coral reefs, they can recover from a bleaching is, incident. It's, it's not, it doesn't always happen and often it will cause them to die. Um, and coral bleaching is when, um, the algae that is inside the coral and that gives it all of its energy, about 90% of its energy, um, it will expel, the coral will expel it um, because the conditions aren't right, the temperature isn't right, or something isn't right. And when it expels that algae, the coral becomes weak and it gets sick and it's not getting its food from the sun. But it can recover if the conditions improve, if the water temperatures go down or the pollution improves. But the thing is that oxybenzone is so destructive at such a low concentration. It happens at 62 parts per trillion, which is the equivalent of one drop of oxybenzone in six and a half Olympic-sized swimming pools. So that's the concentration that can harm a very, uh, it's called a coral planula or larva, and they usually float on the surface of the water and they can travel and that's how coral reefs can grow to different areas. But um, what will happen is instead of it attaching to the reef, the oxybenzone causes itself to like encase it. Like its skeleton grows so fast around its body that it just becomes trapped in this skeletal bubble and it can't attach to the reef and start to grow outward. So it's really... Um, quite concerning because we're having so many mass bleaching events worldwide and then the concentrations in the waters at popular swimming spots are high enough as shown in the lab to cause issues. And because of this uh, planular death, you're not seeing any new generations coming online. You might be at a coral reef and you might see some coral, but you don't see any young generation coming up. And that's because the oxybenzone is fat-soluble. It floats up to the surface where the planula go. And it does exactly what Melina said. It encases itself and it makes its own coffin. So um, we need the new generations. <laughs> yeah. And we need them to be healthy and fertile. and to I mean, they're animals, so they release eggs and sperm. And, and people don't think of it that way. They just think it's this rock. Um and then it can, it also um, will increase, so coral bleaches at a certain temperature, like when it gets to the high 80s, like around 87, it starts to get, and this is um, Fahrenheit, it starts to um, get stressed out. But if oxybenzone and octanoxate, if these chemicals are present at the, a certain concentration, 
Um, in the lab, like it, it, it bleached within 96 hours at a much lower temperature. Like it caused the temperature at which coral bleached to be reduced by 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So the thing is that coral isn't just being exposed to chemicals and sunscreen. It's not just being affected by climate change or uh, the, all the other factors, right? It has, it's being hit from all, all different angles. So it's all this cumulative effect that's stressing it out. So we're trying to really get the message across is like, this is one thing that we all can really do. Um, consumers can change immediately by buying sunscreens that are mineral based that use non-nano zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, but they have to be non-nano. There's studies that also show, I mean, these minerals go on a bit white, so the industry has um, changed these naturally occurring minerals in nature to be so small that they get in and they also disrupt and affect the coral. So you have to make sure that it says non-nano, like the industry is not required to label it if it is nano, so you have to make sure that you're looking at a brand Usually, it's, you can get them from the health food store. You want to look at more. And, and they are a little bit more expensive, but again, coral reefs are so valuable um, and so precious. So we think it's really something worth putting your money into. And you can also use hats or clothing, sun protective clothing. But um, So it's just one little thing that we can do that helps the reefs immediately. But also, um, it's not enough for just consumers one by one to become aware of this issue. We need changes to happen on a federal level. We need many countries to start banning this chemical so that the industry decides to just voluntarily no longer use it. That would be nice. <laughs> well, I think with um, using your purchasing power, I think the industry will change. I mean, that's usually the thing that does it. <laughs> Money. <laughs> yeah. And I think as more and more people buy these healthier sunscreens, the the price will go down. And you don't have to use as much. Like you said, you can put a shirt on. You can use a hat. Um, these other things you spray all over you, and these aerosol sprays are expensive because most of the spray doesn't go on your body. Most of it goes on the sand. And that's very detrimental because when the tide comes up, it's going to bring it back into the ocean. So there's more and more um, toxicity. So... Um, yeah. And this issue, I mean, we talk a lot about coral because that's kind of the foundation of the marine ecosystem. But also, these chemicals are found to harm other marine life. I mean, sea urchins, um, their sperm count and fertility has gone down and, and it's been linked to oxybenzone. There have been studies on fish embryos and they look, they'll be exposed to like one part per billion of oxybenzone and just look completely deformed. And um, something interesting about these chemicals, oxybenzone, the structure, like the chemical structure of this compound is similar to estrogen. So our bodies and uh, other bodies, marine life, uh, when it bonds to like your cell receptor, it kind of mimics estrogen. So there's this great study by UC Riverside, and they were um, looking at a, a sewage discharge because also, even if you use these products inland, if you're not at the ocean, if you put sunscreen on and you're playing tennis or something or going hiking in nature and you urinate, you pee, that goes, that flushes down the toilet, it goes to the wastewater treatment facility. They're not able to filter out these chemicals. They're so small, so they end up in our rivers. They're affecting um, the reproduction of fish, again, because they act like estrogen, male fish, 
have lower fertility and lower sperm counts. And in this one study that I'm citing from UC Riverside, they were looking at a sewage discharge place off of Huntington Beach. So the sewage was going out into the ocean off Huntington Beach, and they were collecting turbot and sole fish. And they found that two-thirds of the male uh, turbot and sole fish that they collected, they found ovarian tissues growing in their testes. And they sampled the tissue because they wanted to know what was causing this. And they sampled it, and oxybenzone was the chemical that was found present in that tissue. And they, they, they looked at other estrogenic chemicals as well, but they, the study confirmed that it was oxybenzone. So this stuff is found, it's, it's so bioaccumulative and so persistent that it's found in everything from otters, orcas, it's in dolphin breast milk, it's in human breast milk. The CDC, they did a study that found it in 97% of humans, whether you're getting it from your drinking water, which it contaminates our drinking water and our aquifers, or whether you're getting it from sea, seafood. So it's just a very, like, it's terrifying. And this is just one chemical, right? This is one chemical out of 80,000 plus. So it's just an overwhelming topic. But at the same time, it's something that we all have the power to choose which products we buy, which companies we support, whether we're using toxic uh, like whatever we use in our household will eventually make its way into the ocean. Like sewer, sewage is kind of like the term, the root of that word is seaward. So if you're using toxic laundry detergents or dish soaps or personal care products, that stuff, like our oceans are just a dumping ground for all of our waste, whether it's plastic or chemical based. Yeah, it's really sad how the oceans are um, grunting being the brunt of all this um, toxicity. There are two sewage plants, um, one's in Boulder, Colorado, and one's in Vancouver, Canada, which um, does filter out most of these chemicals so that um, I, I hope in time that other sewage treatment plants can change and, and you know, strive for that kind of excellence. Um, it also affects humans, too, Um Hirschsprung's disease is an issue that newborns are faced with, which deals with the intestines. They're not able to poop, so a lot of times they need surgery. Um, endometriosis, um, and it was voted um, allergen of the year in 2014 by the American Contact Dermatitis Society. And who knows what other effects it's causing. It is estrogenic. So, um, and there are other chemicals in sunscreens that are harmful too. These are the two that are getting the most attention right now, primarily because oxybenzone is the most prevalent one used. Um, oxen octanate, that is even more toxic, but it's not used as much. And so that was what the, the bill this year that was passed up with those two, and that's a start. Um, we'd like to have, um, if I could have my way, <laughs> I would just immediately just ban it all right now. I mean, the FDA, uh, not that long ago, had to recall a lot of romaine lettuce that um, has some E. coli in it. They're able to, you know, um, act on that right away, but the, um, the cosmetic and body care industry doesn't really have much regulation. But to wait two and a half years... I mean, the scientists have been sounding the alarm bell for decades, you know, and finally we're starting to um, listen. 
But um, two and a half years is a long time away, and um, if we could just ban it right now, um, whatever it takes to ban it, because um, because these reefs are so sensitive and such minute amounts. I mean, when you're talking about parts per trillion, and people go to the areas that have the most beautiful corals, you know? So if we could, um, through education right now, is what we're trying to do for the next two and a half years to the bill is banned, um, and then again, it's just banned in Hawaii, the sale of it. You know, we, we hope that, um, the mainland follows suit. There are other Palau bans, uh, sunscreen in their jellyfish lake. Um, they have tourists come. That's, that helps support their economy. They don't want to ruin that. Um, we seem to be the only species that kind of, um, destroys our own food and drink and air and doesn't provide a safe uh, environment for future generations. It's a a really odd thing. Um, We're almost, um, I don't know, we need to do something about that. (laughs) So it's, it's, this is a a really extraordinary, not extraordinary, this is a a really sort of uh, central example of the destructiveness of this culture because the example you're talking about should in many ways be really easy since the octanoxate, for example, is, I mean, it's not used, it's unnecessary. It's, it's where I live, we fight, we have to fight people all the time who are doing off-road vehicles on, you know, endangered species habitat or destroying someplace or another with off-road vehicles. And that's, you would think that would be a really easy fight because basically off-road vehicles are just toys for adults. It's, it's, it's toys. And the same with this, that this um, octanoxate, a very dangerous chemical, is used in sunscreens and lip balms. It's not, it's not like it's used, it's not like it's providing a necessity of life is what I'm getting at. This, this one seems so much easier to deal with than something that was more central to here's what I'm saying you're not talking about getting rid of somebody's health care yeah we agree completely we think it's such a simple solution because there's so many UV blockers and there's two great natural ones that don't show toxicity like they'll do studies on the zinc and the titanium on the coral planula and they're completely fine um, but but there's so much opposition from industry I mean there's the lobby groups from the healthcare industry and from the sunscreen industry and the chemical industry. They were all there in Honolulu last year lobbying like crazy to get this all these bills blocked. And last year they were successful, not a single bill. They introduced, I think, 12 bills and not a, about oxybenzone and, and sunscreen pollution, and not a single one was passed. And this year, the bill was passed, but it was kind of a compromise. The bill doesn't take effect for two and a half years. It only bans two chemicals when there's more that are harmful, but it bans the two worst ones. And it's just in sunscreen. And like you said, they're in lip balms, anything that any lotion or daytime cream or even makeup that say they claim an SPF factor, turn it over, read the ingredients. It likely has oxybenzone. And oxybenzone is one of the favorites of the chemical industry because it blocks UVA and UVB rays. So they're saying, oh, if you if you get this off the market and you don't allow the sale of this, you're jeopardizing the health of all the visitors and residents of Hawaii. So they're doing all these uh, scare tactics. 
but there are many other chemical ingredients and uh, zinc is more effective at blocking UVA and UVB rays. So we think it's just a kind of a silly thing that industry is sort of, they've bought their, themselves time. They, they've given them, themselves three and a half years effectively since last year to, to reformulate their products. And the sad thing is this bill won't take effect in Hawaii for two and a half years. And our reefs are so important and like it's been proven that these chemicals are harming them. And the safer alternatives already exist. So in an ideal world, it'd be like if all the Walmarts and big box stores could start selling maybe in six months or even in a year, if they could take the products that already exist on the market that use healthier formulas and just trade them out, but they want to keep with their contracts with the big brands, the Hawaiian Tropics, the banana boats. They want to, they want to continue. They just basically want to keep selling the same brand on their shelf, but have a different formula. So you, you mentioned earlier two numbers, and I want to put them together. You said one drop for every six and a half Olympic size swimming pools, I believe. And then yes. you also said the amount of, um, I don't remember if it was one of these chemicals or if it's sunscreen in general, that was put into one bay per day. It wasn't per day. That was a per year calculation. Okay. So um, in, in Hawaii, there's a bay called Hanauma Bay, and it's beautiful. It's on Oahu, and it gets over 3,000 visitors a day. So they, they calculate... The average person is there for four hours, and in four hours you use two point something ounces of sunscreen. They do this calculation, and then oxybenzone is usually found at a concentration between three and seven percent in a sunscreen formula. Um, and, and in this particular one, they went on the lower end. They calculated it with a three percent oxybenzone. So they they said that over a whole year, that would be a hundred and over a hundred and fifty thousand pounds of sunscreen going in this one bay and it's a it's a nature preserve which is the ironic part and it's come all the coral is completely dead it's just a the coral is not very healthy there at all but what do you expect with that many people but so with over 150,000 pounds a year at three percent of that would be 4,515 pounds approximately of just oxybenzone but then you have the octanoxate you have the homosalates the avobenzones the parabens all the synthetic fragrance, which you can smell before you even get to the beach. So there's just all these other chemicals. It's it's startling, and it is at those concentrations. It, it's above that 62 parts per trillion. So, and I'm sorry if I'm asking a question to which we don't know the answer, but <laughs> how does um, oct octanoxate uh, or the other chemical... Um, um, oxybenzone, how do they uh, break down or do they? Yeah, so they're they're pretty persistent. Um, one report said they have a half-life of 90 days, and others say that it's, it's even longer. And the thing is, like, even if it's being exposed in this one heavily tra trafficked bay, the tides and, and the currents can bring it to other places. So 90 days, I mean, that's horrible in the short term, but this is, this is not like, um, like, you know, carbon dioxide or this, this is not a long-term problem that if they solve this, this problem could actually go away in a, in a couple years. 
Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's not like plastic. It it will go away. Yeah. And and we've seen that. So there's there's one beach on the Big Island, or I'm sorry, it may have been on Maui, but um, there's a certain time of year that certain species of coral spawn. There will be like one night, I think it's usually on a full moon, that they will reproduce. And they actually close the beach the day before or a couple of days before to reduce the sunscreen amount there. So there are little actions that we can take um, to try to improve the reefs, at least from the local factors. I, I mean, I, I don't have the solution for climate change or ocean acidification, but I'm sure you know people that do or you do. But with us in Hawaii, it's just it's sad to go to beaches and be able to smell the pollution in the air. You go into the water, we don't use sunscreen, but you come out and you still have the oil on your skin because it's just so polluted. So, But yeah, I, I think that if we could stop using these chemicals, we would see a, a bit of improvement in these heavily visited reefs. But also, the sad thing is that um, we're seeing a lot of brands now claim to be reef safe, and they'll put it in their name, they'll put it on the front of the package, reef safe, and people buy it, thinking that they're doing the right thing, but you turn it over and you read the ingredients, and it doesn't have oxybenzone, but it has avobenzone, and homosalate and parabens and, and these other chemicals. So I still don't consider those chemical or those sunscreens reef safe. I think if you're looking for a, a healthy product, it should have things like beeswax or, although we heard even beeswax can have contamination from pesticides, but maybe coconut oil or, or, or more uh, ingredients based from nature that sound familiar and more edible. <laughs> like there's a saying, if you can't say it, don't spray it. So... And the other thing that's important that often gets overlooked, um, we need certain rays from the sun, you know, and the sun's being blocked all of them. Um, so it's important to go out and get some sunshine. You just don't want to get too much. You don't want to get burned. Um, so that's important to keep in mind, too. And, and something else that's interesting is these chemicals, oxybenzone and octanoxate, and the aerosol sprays especially because, like Lynn was saying, so much of it is wasted. If you're if you're somewhere and it's windy, like up to eighty percent of that that sunscreen spray can go into the environment. And there's places where um, we we took a photo of an area, a patch of of grass that was completely killed, except for where someone's feet were. So you could tell that they were spraying their ankles. And I guess golf courses are wanting to ban sunscreen because it's ruining their grass, but. It was just a story I heard the other day that uh, there was a field trip with a bunch of students in Illinois to a uh, community garden, and they all put on a bunch of aerosol sunscreen, and the next week the garden beds, like some of the garden beds where they were standing and applying it, were dead. So this stuff is also toxic to, uh, it's toxic to the plankton. Um, there is a professor or researcher from Cornell University, Sean McCosham, and he was swimming over at the Captain Cook Monument on the Big Island. And this is one of the most beautiful reefs that we have left in Hawaii. I maybe shouldn't say that publicly because we try to protect it. But um, he, there's this one particular place where everyone gets into the water. It's easy, it's shallower to get in there. And he observed that there was nothing growing on the, the walls of walls in the ocean there was no usually you see some seaweed or moss and there's a bunch of shells or crabs 
against the wall, and he observed that it was just a dead zone, and that if he swam a couple yards away, not a couple, but like a hundred yards away, it was healthy. So um, that's another case of you're looking at like a micro a micro place where it's like okay, this is dead right here where the sunscreen oil and residue residue uh, gets hit by the wave and kind of brushes up against the the rock and there's nothing growing there. So it affects like it, it blocks vitamin D produ- production on human skin, but it also is blocking photosynthesis or just being toxic to other organisms. So what would be great if we could all figure out a way where this could happen quicker? Um, you know, I think the sunscreen companies have a responsibility to make the changes, but if it's encouraging to them, I don't know if a portion of the tax dollar could be reallocated from one place to another to help them with their changes, if that's what it takes. Um, whatever it takes to get this done sooner. And it isn't just about um, sunscreen. We're, we're doing a, a feature documentary called The Cover-Up, and it's about the toxic chemicals in cosmetics and body care products. This part on the sunscreen was just basically a portion of that film that we're working on. And uh, it's interesting that Nat Geo had an article that said that 3 million tons of cosmetics enter oceans each year. So, and it's not just cosmetics, it's also our pesticides and everything that goes down our drains, that goes into our body and out through the urine, um, anything that washes off our body. Um, I think it's really important that we really start to make some big changes soon. So whatever it takes, if it takes money, okay, we have to think more about what's important than about money. Yeah, but the chemical industry is highly invested and if a chemical is banned, it makes the whole chemical industry sort of look bad. So they, they try really hard. They lobby really hard and they care a lot about their image, but they're just producing so many. I mean, we have figures for oxybenzone, but I mean, I can't even imagine how many toxic chemicals are pumped out into our environment every day. It's tragic. Yeah, there's so many chemicals being produced and um, not enough testing is done. Like Especially in the old days, a lot of like asbestos and um, DDT and all these things, cigarettes, smoking cigarettes, all these things no one thought were harmful. And so the same thing now, once you discover that it's harmful, we have a responsibility to substitute it, change it, get into green chemistry to do something. We need to protect our environment for future generations. We need to protect our food, our air, our water. I mean, we are going to make ourselves become extinct. We're cutting off um, nature, the hand that feeds us. I mean, Well, it's really sad because I think coral polyps were one of the first species to evolve on our planet. They were here before humans. They were here before dinosaurs. So to, I mean, there's statistics that about 50% of the world's coral reef have declined in the last 30 years. So for these species or forms of life to have been around for so many millions of years and to see them vanishing before our eyes in maybe a 60-year span, I mean, there's some predictions that Maybe by the year 2050, 90% of our coral reefs will be gone. And, like, I can't even imagine what type of effects that would have. If 25% of marine life live or depend on coral reefs, and then you're also affecting everything up the food chain, all the larger marine life, I mean, it'd be tragic to lose our reefs. Yeah, and it's not just simple, like, you losing one species, although I believe every species has a part, but... 
when you're losing the coral reefs, you're losing 25% of the marine life. You're losing food for people who depend on fishing in their small communities. I mean, it's a really big deal. So sometimes people will laugh at the idea of sunscreen or scoff it off. And it's like we shouldn't be scoffing off anything that contributes. We should try to be minimizing all of them um, to reduce their stress. So and this, again, is a particularly easy one. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned Palau uh, banning sunscreen in a, one lake, um, Jellyfish Lake, I believe you called it. Um, and are there other places around the world uh, – I mean, is Hawaii the first place to ban it, or are there other places around the world that have banned sunscreen or banned so, these, these particular chemicals? Yeah, Palau did it, but just for one specific lake because, it, again, it was visited by so many people and the jellyfish were getting contaminated. Um, but Mexico has done some bans, too. They've, there are certain areas where they protect their reefs and they do education at the parks, and there's places called cenotes, which are these beautiful kind of underground freshwater pools, and they don't allow sunscreen in there either. So there are places in the world that have taken steps in action to, like, restrict the use, but I think that's more through signage. I don't think it was, like, this is, Hawaii has become the first place in the world to pass a bill that bans the sale. So in, in two and a half years, if you come to Hawaii, you won't be able to find a sunscreen on the shelf that contains oxybenzone or octanoxate. And that's another, that's one feedback we get from our film is people say, well, I went to Hawaii, I brought the non-nano zinc sunscreen, I used it up and I went to look for more and they didn't have the options available at the store they went to. So we also have to make, we have to solve that part of the problem too. We can educate people, but they need to be able to find and have the safe option right in front of them. So, yeah, Hawaii has become the first place in the world, which is huge. I mean, this is historic. Even though the bill has its weaknesses and it won't take effect for a while, the fact that this bill has happened, um, now Tulsi Gabbard is looking to introduce it federally, and other countries are looking to – I think in the coming years we're going to see many other countries ban these chemicals. So it's encouraging. <laughs> how, did, how did the two of you get started on this issue? Um, <laughs> we're actually a mother-daughter team, um, and I can't remember growing up and ever really having, like most parents slather their kids in sunscreen, right? I don't remember that ever happening. My mom made me wear a visor all the time, or we'd sit in the shade and we'd go later in the day. Like, we were always very conscious of not getting sunburnt. I don't think I was ever sunburnt my whole childhood, but I, and I never used sunscreen. But, um... How we got interested in this, um, again, my mom is a health practitioner, um, and so she's aware of health topics in general, and I have always been like an environmentalist, and I'm interested in pursuing documentary film, and there was a point in my life, I was in college senior year looking to do a project, and I wanted to do something environmental, something health-related, and I was researching different topics. And I was just walking to class the week I had to pick a topic, and I saw a friend, and I gave them a hug, and they had a cologne on them that was so powerful. I had, like, the most powerful allergic reaction to it, and it just led me to buy some books about, like, I, I started researching what's in our cosmetics, because, again, I thought I was a health-conscious person, an environmentally conscious person, but I wasn't aware, oh, I'm using shampoo that has all these toxic ingredients in it that harm my health and the environment, so... We've been working on this feature film, 
And then while we were making the feature film, we have this uh, chapter about sunscreen, and we were thinking, oh, man, like, this is so timely. Like, this is such a timely chapter. Like, Hawaii wants to ban it. And we actually received a grant from the Redford Center. So Robert Redford and Jamie Redford, um, over we were flown to Sundance, Utah. It was a really cool mentorship program. If there's any people out there interested in doing an environmental film, that they really support environmental filmmakers that can create change. So anyway, we got this grant, and we had to produce a short film with it. And we just thought, oh, this timing, the timing of this bill and everything is so right. We should just put out this chapter, this section of our feature film. And it's had really great success. Like, um, it's been seen, uh, Upworthy just featured it and we've, we've worked for the last year. So it only took us like a month or two to make the short film, a really intensive two month period. But we've been working for a year to get it seen and, and it's educating people coming to Hawaii on Hawaiian Airlines. So we want to do more outreach with it. But we're also editing our feature film, um, which is going to be, um, I think more important because um, we're just talking about oxybenzone, which is one chemical. And again, that's an easy thing to get one chemical out of the way that's toxic. But when you look at cosmetics and personal care products as a whole, there's thousands of chemicals in them. And the European Union, they have much stricter standards for everything, for food, for all sorts of things. But they ban over 1,300 chemicals from use in cosmetics because they're toxic to aquatic life or they're whatever. They show environmental or human health concerns. And the FDA has only banned 11. So we think that needs to change. But So that's a long story of how we got started. But also just... I mean, my mom's been in Hawaii for 35 years. Like, do you want to talk about the reef? Like, she's seen the reef decline. Yeah, um, there was, a, there is a, well, was a beautiful beach over on the Kona side, Kahaluhu. That was one of my favorite places. I mean, you would go in there. There were so many tropical fish. It was unbelievable, just swarming all around you, schools of them, all different sizes, colors, and everything. And now when you go there, there's nothing. And uh, when we were filming there, one of the um, ladies who was doing the underwater diving that we were filming, I wish I had the camera on her. When she came out of the water, I was watching the equipment. And she came out and said, oh, this just stinks of sunscreen. And I wish, I mean, it was totally uh, candid. candid. And um, I just wish I had had it on camera. And it's true. You go there and you can smell it and everything. And unfortunately... Um, Oh, also, I would would go to Hanama Bay, and too, and I see these big foot-long fishes, you know, you would knee-high. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And so in just the time I've been here, I've seen it change so much. And then, unfortunately, um, Waiapai was one of the most beautiful reefs left, and it's close. It's like a half an hour from where we live. and It's in our film, all the big, beautiful yeah. coral. We're, yeah. yeah, and that got covered by the lava, so we don't have that anymore. Yeah, we've been working. Uh, this is really close to where we live, where the lava eruption is happening, and just the most beautiful coral reef in Hawaii, in our humble opinion, um, that we've been trying to preserve through the sunscreen issue and other, there's pesticide runoff and cesspools. There's all these factors, again, affecting the coral. So we've been trying to help, and then just we saw this reef completely disappear in a day by lava. So that's a natural cause, but it was devastating, and people were crying and grieving like it was the loss of a child, really. I mean, this was just such a special place, but it put into perspective for us 
how fragile these ecosystems are and how you could have a coral bleaching event, you could have a hot summer or an El Nino event, and the same thing could happen in the course of a month. You could see a reef disappear. But a lava is a little bit more definitive. Yeah, but if even if, you know, the oxybenzone takes 90 days, you know, um, it doesn't matter how many days it has. If you have uh, visitors going in the water with sunscreen on every single day, even if it only lasted 24 hours, it's a constant thing. But he's saying if we can change it, then yeah. we can see improvement. If we, if we can change some of our pollution um, and overfishing. I mean, there are lots of stressors, even in your own life. Um, there are several stressors. But when you have too much stress, that's when you can have a breakdown or you can get sick or something can happen. But usually, you know, a little bit of stress is good. It makes you strong, keeps your immune system going. But, um, you know, the coral can just handle so much. So whatever we can do, um, we need to do. <laughs> um, and your viewers might be interested in learning more. So they can watch our film. Originally, we made an 11-minute version, which is on YouTube. And then just this past year, we or just a month ago, really, we put out a four-and-a-half-minute version because people seem to have shorter and shorter attention spans. But um, I get the feeling that your um, – Listeners might be interested in reading this book that was really helpful to us while we were making and researching this film. Um, we, we did the filming and the editing and the pre-production in about two months, but we had researched it for half a year before. Um, but there's a film by Dr. Elizabeth Plurd, and it's called Sunscreens Biohazard, Treat as Hazardous Waste. And it's a very powerful, very well well-researched book with just tons of citations in the back. I'm trying to see how many. There's like 508 citations and references, and it's just an excellent book that goes really in-depth. Because, again, we just made a short film. We could have made it a lot longer. Um, it, sometimes it's harder to get everything you want in the short version. So we recommend people watch the 10-minute version, um, and the short one has the update about the, the legislation passing. And I guess the last question for today, we only have like a minute or two left. Um, last question is, um, if somebody lives in a place that either A, does have coral, or B, does not have coral, um, what can they do to help get their locality or to help get some other locality to uh, ban these chemicals? Great question. And there's also people who live inland. There's a lot of programs like Inland Ocean Coalition that are trying to connect people that don't live anywhere near a reef to be involved. But yeah, the great thing would be if you could contact your local representatives. Um, it, you could get it passed on a county level, but it would be better to contact your state senators and representatives. And again, we can contact our, our leaders over in Washington, D.C. and and we're hoping to see in the next year, Tulsi Gabbard has expressed interest in doing federal legislation. But, yeah, no matter where you are in the world, um, you could send our film to them as a way to introduce it to them. You could send them an, an article you read or, or the studies like Dr. Craig Downs of the Hereticus Lab. He's the one that's done a lot of these studies. And, I mean, just composing a, a, a short and concise little email about why the reefs matter to you and why this topic is something that, like you said, we can change and sending it to your leaders. And one thing that I thought was interesting when we were on the East Coast filming Ralph Nader for our feature film, he said something that kind of caught me by surprise, but when I had time to think about it, I thought, you know what, he was right. He said the consumer is very responsible. We're holding up the industry a lot. The industry wants to give the consumer what they want. 
So the consumer needs to become more civically um, oriented and not so consumer oriented. And it's up to the consumer to make some changes, to educate themselves and other people and take these steps that Melina just said, contact your representatives. Show them this film. We showed all the representatives our film a year ago. Um, just get involved. You know, Make a difference. Don't buy these products. And people might say, oh, I like the other sunscreen more, it smells better, or this one goes on a little white. And it's true, you might not like it as much, but you can find products, like you can keep trying and sampling other products until you find one you like. There are great ones out there. But um, again, if the consumer can realize like the coral is maybe more important than what scent I want in a sunscreen. <laughs> but we have had a lot of samples from companies, and some of them are just fantastic. Yeah. So... And we recommend some companies also on our website. So. so you can buy it online. You can go to your health food store. You can ask your um, other big um, chain stores to ask, start asking them to uh, stop this, you know. The consumer needs to um, request, require. Um, demand. Demand. Use your purchasing power. People, the industry will follow. The, the, the stores will follow. Well, thank you so much for all of your work in defense of coral and i would like to thank listeners for listening my guests today have been lynn pelletier and melina fagan this is derek jensen for resistance radio on the progressive radio network 